Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Good morning. I'm Fazia Costi. I'm your host. And today we are going to be speaking with a gentleman by the name of Scott Shoot. And uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks very much. Good morning. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I just want to jump right in because I, I think you've got a, a phenomenal uh, background. You've got an interesting job. You've got an interesting book coming out. You've got a lot of really fabulous things to talk about today. So I just want to jump in, make sure we have plenty of time to um, ask you all the right questions and have you tell us everything that you want to tell us. <laughs> Beautiful. So, let's do it. <laughs> all right. So let's um, let's start with your background. Can you tell us a little bit about what you currently do? Uh, for a job and what you've done in the past so that people, sure. our listeners, understand where you're coming from. Sure. Yeah, I, I work at LinkedIn. I've been here for nine years. And in my current job, I'm the head of mindfulness and compassion programs. And you might wonder, like, how did that happen? Because for sure, it is the coolest job in the world. And so a little bit of background. I, I you know, have gone through the business side. And I've been an executive in customer-facing functions at LinkedIn for the first six years. I was the VP of global customer operations, which was essentially all of the customer facing stuff that's not sales. And in parallel to that, I've always been interested in meditation and contemplative practices. I've been practicing since I was 13. I've been teaching since I was in college. It's a big part of my life, but it's not something I ever talked about at work, right? It's just like these two. And nobody parts. talks about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's changing. But uh, I was finding that the person I was at home was a little bit different than the person I was at work. And that felt a little uncomfortable because a lot of times we're covering, we're covering these parts of ourselves, right? Right. You're not authentic at work, whereas you are at home. Yeah. And so at LinkedIn, I had been there for a couple of years and I realized, wow, it's a really open place. Our CEO was talking about his own meditation practice using Headspace, this app Headspace. Sure. And talking about compassion and leadership. And I thought, well, maybe this is a place I could bring my practice. And so about six or seven years ago, I started by leading you know, one practice, one meditation practice on a Thursday afternoon at 4.30 in the, get this, the heavenly conference room, which I thought was <laughs> very auspicious. And that first time there was, <laughs> there was one dude there. <laughs> and I'm sure he was just as terrified as I was because I never saw him again. But then <laughs> the next week there were three and then there were five. And then I'd get invited to do bigger things. Like people started to know that this is what I did. So the marketing team would have a big offsite and they'd have, you know, breakout sessions of 70 or hundred people. And I get invited to lead, you know, meditation during these breakout sessions. Sure. Or the CFO would have a summit of three or 400 finance people. And I'd kick it off, you know, with a 10 or 15 minute meditation. And it became part of me. And that was the intention or that was the hope, right? I became known as the meditation exec kind of. And then I volunteered to be our executive sponsor for our mindfulness program, which, you know, we didn't have one. So myself and some other volunteers, you know, put one together and did that for three or four years. And for me, then the tipping point was our CEO, our previous CEO, Jeff Weiner, was giving the commencement address at Wharton. This was three years ago. And, you know, in a commencement address, you get your 15 minutes to give your one big piece of advice, right? And his advice was, if you're going to be successful in life, 
If you're going to be successful at work, be compassionate. I thought that's interesting because Wharton is a very, you know, buttoned up place, right? Very serious sure. place. And then the next day he's on TV, he's on Good Morning America or something. And it's all the reporters want to talk about. Like they have one question about LinkedIn and 20 questions about compassion and leadership. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, it's time. Like I'd been in my ops role for six years. I was ready to, you know, ready for change. But it's also time for us as LinkedIn to invest in this because here it is, the CEOs out in the world talking about compassion, saying it's the most important thing you can do. And then we're, what, we're going to send 15 or 16,000 LinkedIn employees back to their desks with this message? What, what does that even mean? Right. So I made a pitch to our CEO, our head of HR, and essentially created this role with a blank slate, head of mindfulness and compassion programs. And so happy to talk more about that, but that's, that's how we got here. Yeah. So what do you do on a day-to-day basis with your job? Now that sure. you've created this new pathway, sure. what, do you do, what do you do? Well, there's two parts to my role. So the first one is, and uh, to go up a notch, I changed my LinkedIn tagline. My vision is to change work from the inside out. And I mean that in its biggest sense for 3.3 billion people that are working, I would love it over time if companies became more conscious and treated their employees better, treated their customers better. So this is the high level vision. So it happens on the ground with two things, mainstream mindfulness, operationalized compassion. So mainstreaming mindfulness means we're offering, you know, things like meditation sessions, um, well, pre-COVID, something like 40, 50 times a week globally. We give everybody access to an app. We love the, the app, Wise at Work, which is from our partners at Wisdom Labs. We also have these community drop-in sessions where you can build relationship, but also have a practice and have some, you know, kind of discussion around what's going on in our lives. Every year we do a 30-day challenge around the meditation app. And the challenge is something like, hey, use the app 20 times within 30 days and you get a t-shirt. Or this year we did hoodies. And what I could say is never underestimate the power of a free hoodie on (laughs) employee behavior. I think, the, had, I think the word is free. <laughs> exactly. We had lots of people uh, actually complete the challenge because they were, you know, well, and then they realize how good it is. And then they, you know, they continue doing it. Um, what else do I do? I lead workshops. I have a, we do a speaker series. We bring people in. We have mini retreats. So we're just trying to make mindfulness or mental exercise just as normal, just as commonplace, as physical exercise, because we know how important it is to our mental well-being. And we can come back to that because that's a really important part, especially during COVID time. Absolutely. On, on the compassion side, operationalized compassion. So I'm leading workshops. I'm trying to codify it. And, and we have further to go here in terms of, you know, what does it actually mean? But I'll give you some examples of what it means at LinkedIn. So as an example, our head of sales will stand in front of whatever, five or 6,000 salespeople at kickoff and say, look, our role in sales is to provide long-term value, right? So don't sell something our customers don't need at the end of the quarter, just so you can hit your quota. Like, well, that's impressive. Then that's not how I was taught as a 25-year-old salesperson. Sure. Or, or it happens in things like product development. You know, every week we have six or eight product reviews. Now, a product review is when a product manager comes into the executives, the product executive team, and shares what the latest rev of their product is going to do and also what the results will be. So as an example, it could be, hey, with this latest revision, we're going to get 10% more engagement or 10% more clicks. And if they don't answer the following question, it's always the first question. And the question is, okay, oh, that's fine, but 
What about the member experience? How's the member experience? And if the answer is, well, hey, did I mention it was 10% more clicks? Like the, the meeting stops. And then it becomes a discussion, a reminder about our number one value, which is members first. You know, and I guarantee you that product manager incorporates that thinking the next time they come. Um, or a third way compassion gets integrated or operationalizes just how we interact with our customers. So I used to lead customer service. I was in Omaha one time visiting our team and there's this customer service agent, a, a rep, young woman. She had this note that said grandma, a sticky note on her monitor. I'm like, we were just talking, you know, walking through the hall. I'm like, sure. what, what's up with your grandma note? And she's like, oh. And she's like, you know, this job can get hard sometimes because every day I have 40 cases and they're really 40 people, 40 people I'm dealing with, 40, right. 50, sometimes 80. And it can get repetitive. Sometimes I'm frustrated at the customers. You know, it's a lot. Sure. And I want to be at my best. I'm not always at my best. And so, but I think of it like this. I want to remember my grandma and I love my grandma. And I imagine how would I serve this next customer, this next member, if, my, if she were my grandma, right? And so I think about that and I, I fill my heart, you know, and then I take right. the next email or the next chat or the next phone call. And I try to treat that customer just like I would treat my grandma. That's a really good way to look at things. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot, actually. I, I know for me, customer service is really important. I think um, I always tell my my clients, you know, that their success is my success. So I do everything in my power to make sure that they are as successful as possible. And so I, I, I may not use the grandma method, but it's a very similar thought process, I believe. Yeah, it's it's one of those things like you treat people like you would want to be treated, and maybe even even better than that sometimes. Maybe <laughs> exactly. I like that a lot. Um, why is mindfulness relevant in the workplace? Why why do you think that's sure. relevant? Sure. Well, mindfulness you can think of. Let me define it first. I, I think of it as awareness, right? Building our awareness, our awareness of ourselves, our awareness of what's going on around us, awareness of others. And then without judgment. In other words, seeing the full picture. Now, we can get there a lot of different ways. One of the ways we get there is meditation, but it's also through just changing our mindset, you know, moving, moving from just seeing the things that are wrong into seeing the whole. Now, it, we see this, and why do we need this? Well, if you think about like as mental exercise, Right. Everybody knows, almost everybody knows the benefits now of physical exercise. That doesn't mean we all do it, but, but we know the benefits, right? We sure. know that when we exercise, we're at our best or, you know, we're, we're better versions of ourselves. We have less stress, less anxiety. Um, we're healthier. Now, mental exercise is kind of the same thing. When we practice our practice, we have less stress, less anxiety. We're more creative. We have better relationships. And if you think about that in a work context, of course, our, as employers, we want our employees to be at their best. Sure. You know, if you think about a company like LinkedIn, actually, I'll diverge a little bit and talk about the history of work for just a second. <laughs> if you think about the agrarian age, 
back in the days when we were building pyramids or whatever we were doing, you know, in the really bad times, we had kings and slaves, right? The slaves were the one doing the work. And in other words, workers were not highly valued. We had then landowners and non-landowners. So the entire agrarian age, workers were not super highly valued. Sure. And then we had the industrial age. So think of a big factory where people are all making the same thing or big rows and rows of seamstresses. And again, workers not super highly valued. But now in the information age, especially at companies like LinkedIn and others, we're not selling cars or copper. We don't have a manufacturing line. We only have information, right? So our asset, the only asset or the biggest asset we have is our people. And so when, when people are at their best, the company is at their best. Like, so our biggest investment should be in our people. And one of these investments is around our people's mental well-being, right? Because if you think of, if you just think about what's normal, any big company who cares about their employees has a gym, right? Or they give a gym membership because they want people to be at their, they want them to be, you know, physically well. In the same way, you know, we're providing these mental health resources because we want our employees to be mentally well. And over this past year and change with the COVID pandemic, that has been tested, right? We've all struggled with some sort of mental wellness challenge. Um, you know, the yeah. CDC recently, yeah, CDC recently had a survey and showed that 41% of people are struggling with something serious, a mental well-being serious challenge, whether it's depression or addiction, or for me, most scary, 11% of respondents said that they'd seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. Oh, absolutely. I've seen more crisis situations in this past year than I have in 30 years of practice. Right, right. And that, it, like any environment, that's happening at work too, right? And so for an employer, knowing this, it's imperative that we're offering all kinds of resources mindfulness other to EAP to you know uh, uh, employee assistance programs sure the whole spectrum of benefits so that our employees can be at their best I love it that that's uh, that's really nice so we are facing this wonderful challenge right now and and how do you plan on incorporating mindfulness? in everyday life for your customers, for your employees? How do, how do sure. you plan on doing that? Sure. Well, when we talk about mainstreaming, it just means make it normal. So it's, it means make it everywhere. So as an example, uh, and mindfulness is not just meditation, but as an example, we're trying to make you know, meditation more commonplace too. So I, sure. lead, I lead almost daily or my team leads almost daily practices where people can take advantage of that. We open it up to the public. It's open to our customers. I'm recording short um, meditations to go on the feed in LinkedIn. Uh, I have a couple courses in LinkedIn Learnings. So we're just trying to use every, I'm trying to use every channel that LinkedIn has available, both for its, our employees, but also for our customers and members in the broader public. And just make it normal. Just make it part of our day. And that can happen through, you know, meditating by yourself. If you see my, my thing and follow along for three minutes in the feed, it can happen when teams decide to hold a 30 seconds or 90 seconds of silence uh, just at the beginning of a meeting, just for everybody to kind of settle in and, and get grounded. 
or if somebody has a specific meeting to, to lead it with a deeper practice and, and meditate together and just make it something that is commonplace and normal. And then beyond meditation, you know, thinking about things like growth mindset, right? Moving from pessimism to optimism. And this happens, it's integrated into everything that we do. I mean, I teach workshops where someone can come and and get really detailed and spend time on it, but it's also integrated into how we talk about things. So I'll give you an example. It's performance review season at LinkedIn. Now, when you think about getting or giving a performance review, if you've ever gotten one, here's, here's what normally happens. I can get one and maybe there's five pages of stuff that Scott did great last time period. And then there's three sentences of stuff that Scott could work on for next time period. Look, where do we focus 99% of our energy? We focus on the bad, on the, or that's how our brain is interpreting it, the three sentences. Now, I call this pothole management, right? Like there can be a thousand miles of perfect road with one pothole. And where do we spend our time as individuals, but also as teams? Think about your, a team meeting somebody's had. We're probably spending most of our time on that one pothole, not on the 999 miles of perfect road. But when we shift, both for ourselves and for our teams, when we start to celebrate the good things and focus on what went right, it actually gives us more strength to deal with the pothole. And I'm not saying we don't fix a pothole. Of course we do. But we don't, we don't need to spend 99% of our time fixated on it because our things grow where we put our attention. So if we're only focused on what's wrong, we're going to get more of what's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because um, I, I, I not only understand what you're doing, I agree with it. And I actually incorporate quite a bit of this in my work and in my personal life. So I'm, I'm really loving the alignment that I'm having with what you're doing. I think that's fabulous. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your book, The Full Body Yes. What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> The Full Body Yes to me means when we are fully aligned, right? And you just know, like you're aligned physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. It's like all of the needles of all of those compasses aligned to a north that maybe you didn't even know you had before. Now, this can be really a simple thing. Like when you just know what you want to have for breakfast, right? And you reach for the toast or the cereal or the eggs and you choose one, like that's not a big deal. But it's important, right? You don't want to be conflicted all the time. But it's more poignant. It's more powerful when it's something we've struggled with, right? A big decision we need to make or have had to make, and we just can't figure it out. And then at some point, you just know. You just know what you're supposed to do next. And that's a really powerful feeling. And sometimes that just happens to us. And sometimes we can get to the point where we can get a little closer. So as an example... When I was being interviewed or recruited to come to LinkedIn, you know, over nine years ago, on paper, it didn't seem like a great idea for me. I loved my previous job. I loved everything about it. I loved my previous company. And on paper, the LinkedIn job sounded like more work for less money. <laughs> like, I don't know. But I started interviewing. And a couple of rounds into it, I woke up one night in the middle of the night, it was 1.30 in the morning, and I was awake, and I knew I was going to be awake for the rest of the night, just wide awake, and I had just this deep knowing, like, I'm supposed to do this job. Like, I don't know why, I just know I'm supposed to do it. 
And to me, that's an example of the full body yes. Sometimes it happens through, you might say, grace or just like it just happened. But we can also build, yeah, intuition. But we can also build up our ability to hear that voice, that deepest part of us that, that somehow knows. Because oftentimes we're really distracted with the rest of life. We're in our own head. Um, we're, we're just all over the place. But when we learn to tap in to that deepest part of us, then we can be aligned with that full body yes. And that's when things start to change. That's when we can make you know, our decisions in a cleaner way. Yeah, and, and I like the way you combine everything, the compassion, the meditation, all of that helps you really just center yourself and listen to what your inner voice is telling you, that, that intuition, which it sounds like that's what you were doing. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes, you know, I think, I think life has signs all around us that we, that we are either aware of or not aware of, or we believe it works or don't believe it works. So for me, I'm always looking for things, right? Whether it's a fortune cookie or a billboard or the license plate in front of me. And it doesn't mean that everything is there, but sometimes I call it the golden tongue wisdom. It's like you're struggling with something and all of a sudden there's this billboard that has a message for you. It's like, oh yeah, that's totally what I needed to hear right now. Yeah. It inspires you or helps you come to that correct answer that you're looking for. And so on the, on the front cover of the book, there's this uh, orange rhinoceros and, uh, and I wanted, I wanted something on the front cover where people look at it like, what, what is that? (laughs) I'm, I'm curious. And so this, I'll tell the story of the orange rhino. This about, um, I don't know, five or six years ago, I was in my operations role and my top lieutenant was leaving. He was going to go take another job. And that was great. He was getting promoted, but I needed to replace him. And the stakes were really, really high. Like this was the most integrated and visible role. And my success was going to hinge on this new person's success. And so it was a really important decision for me. And we'd gotten everybody involved, all these VPs from other groups, you know, to be on the interview panel and the, and the recruiting you know, kind of panel. And it came down to the final two candidates and they'd been through tons and tons and tons of interviews and there was no more information to get, right? We'd, we'd seen all the information we could get. And the, my panel was split exactly in half. Half of the team said, oh, for sure, it's this external candidate. And I don't know about the internal candidate. And the other half exactly said, oh, for sure, it's the internal candidate. And I don't know about the external candidate. And I knew that I was going to have to make this call and upset half the team. Now, my natural life strategy is, you know, I'm a pleaser. I'm a, I'm a collaborator. I get people to reduce their defenses and get together and decide something together. But in this case, I was going to have to make the decision all by myself. And so I was in contemplation one day. And I was having a discussion with, you know, whatever you want to call it, the divine, that deeper part of ourselves. I'm like, look, I don't do this very often, but for this one, I want to sign, right? I want a no doubt, no doubt sign. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, if it's candidate A, the external candidate, and she had this long, dark hair. And what came to my mind was uh, a long, dark hair in a bun with chopsticks through it. Now, I don't know how, that's just what came to me. Right. I I let it go. I'm like, well, how am I going to see that? Nobody does that anymore. And then for the second person, I thought of them and they have this orange backpack, this orange work bag. If it's a second person, I'm going to see an orange 
orange rhinoceros. <laughs> and as soon as I said, I'm like, well, how is that going to happen? Like, fine, whatever. I let it go. Like, okay, I'm watching. I'm watching for these two signs. The next 24 hours, let's go. And I, I turned it over to the universe and just kind of forgot about it. The next day, Friday afternoon, I'm at the movies with my, with my team. We had taken off to go, you know, do a team event, go watch the latest Star Wars movie. I'm sitting there letting the weight of the day kind of ease away from me, kind of getting calm again, eating my popcorn. And then in a preview for an animated movie, across the screen rambles an orange rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> now, the mind wants to get involved, right? The mind is like, whoa, 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 hang on. Was that maroon? Was it kind of like reddish orange? I like, are you sure that was orange? I was like, no, stop it. And so I just settled yeah, in and I, yeah, I thought about this person, this candidate. I'm like, does this feel right? Do I, do I have the full body? Yes. About this. And I did, it felt right. You know? And so, and of course this was after we had done all the interviews, both of these candidates would be fantastic. And this person, we put them in the job and they were extraordinary. They did a fantastic job, but this is, this is what I mean by, listening to that deeper part of ourselves and really aligning to that for the things we do in life. I love it. Um, so how can people cultivate this inner voice that you have? Yeah. I mean, part of it is through things like a meditation practice or whatever your practice is, but it's when we go inwardly, right? When we go inside and we get quiet and we kind of quiet our mind and we're just actively trying to cultivate like, okay, when I strip away the mind, when I strip away emotions, when I'm not focused on the body, what's left? And that is the space. And everybody has their own tradition of, of going to that space, uh, whether it's a spiritual thing or a secular thing, but going to that space and connecting with it. And that, that's one. And then when you get this message, whatever you call it, whether it's intuition or direct knowing, whatever it is. We act on it because it's kind of like, you know, if Fauzi, if you gave me a birthday gift every year, but it's some gift that I never use, at some point, you probably stop giving me a birthday gift, right? If I just actively don't use it. And I kind of think this is how the universe works as well. If the universe is like, hey, I give, I gave you this special message. I don't want it. Okay, fine. I agree with you 100%. I I think that is exactly how it works. <laughs> you you have to also have some gratitude for what you have. Yeah. And that gratitude closes the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So first there's this belief, belief that this is how it works. And if you don't if you believe it doesn't work like that, that's also how it works. I agree with you. <laughs> but if you believe it works and then you get this gift and then you're grateful for it and use the gift, then you've this is how you develop this relationship with this deepest part of you. And then it comes and it comes more. Absolutely. That's, this is just really fabulous. I, um, I, I really love the thought process that, that you're going through. Uh, we have about four minutes before the end of um, the first half of our show. I would really like for you to tell everyone how they can get a copy of your book and how they can connect with you. Sure. Yeah, so the book is called The Full Body Yes. It's available everywhere. So you can find it at Amazon or your local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, whatever. Uh, but you can also find out more about me and the book at scottshoot.com 
or at thefullbodyyes.com. They go to the same place. And if you want to follow me for regular kind of updates, LinkedIn is the place where I'm most active. Um, but I'm also everywhere else. <laughs> Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you name it. But LinkedIn is the primary place you can find me. So people can go follow you on LinkedIn. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. That's that's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate having you on the show today, um, Scott. This has been absolutely wonderful. I look forward to coming back in a few minutes after the commercial break and talking more about what compassionate leadership looks like and what those advantages are. Um, so I'd love to talk about that with you when we come back. Um, right now, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, my Setting Your Kids Up for Success Summit that's coming up June 9th. I'm sorry, 7th, 8th, and 9th. And during that summit, we will have eight experts talking about the um, executive function as well as uh, common mental health issues that your child might experience and ways to maybe correct those issues and help your child get onto a positive path. We're going to talk about how to navigate the public educational system as well as the private educational system. And then we're also going to talk about relationships and communication. So if this is something that interests you, feel free to join us for the free summit coming up June 7th, 8th, and 9th called Setting Your Kids Up for Success. You can register at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also um, email me directly at Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And if you have any questions about Scott, you can feel free to contact him. And we are going to be back after these messages to um, talk a little bit more about what is uh, compassionate leadership, what are the advantages, micro-compassions. These all sound very interesting to me. So I'm really looking forward to coming back after these messages and talking more with Scott Shute. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fazia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fazia works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-888. 
1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi. I'm your host. And today we are talking to a gentleman by the name of Scott Shute. He is the author of The Full Body Yes. He currently works at LinkedIn and he has a very interesting job. He is the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn. So welcome back, Scott. Thanks very much. Well, I would love to talk a little bit more about self-compassion as well as compassionate leadership and what that means. Sure. Well, let's talk about self-compassion because often it starts here. And maybe I'll first, I'll tell you a story about my mean friend. You know, one of the things, (laughs) yeah. I can't imagine uh, you having a mean friend, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think we, many of us have mean friends. Sometimes we need to fire those friends, but I'll, I'll tell you about my mean friend. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do is play guitar. I play music, I sing, I write music. And every year we have a block party. Well, except for COVID year, but every year we have a block party around the corner and we shut down the block, you know, and there's cornhole and there's barbecue and some drinking. And um, at the end of the evening, there's music. And my friend and I set up, step at a little stage on his front porch and play music and people sing along. Well, the last time we were having a block party, I was practicing, I was, you know, searching for songs that were sing-along songs that I could learn to play. And one of my friends came over and my friend is like, uh, are you playing for the block party this year? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, like, what, what do you mean? Oh, he's like, mm, I don't know. What, 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 what is it? He's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if you should. I'm like, wow, really? Why? He's like, well, last time. Look, when you guys started playing, like a bunch of people just left. They just went over and started playing beer pong or trading whiskey shots or whatever. Like, okay. He's like, honestly, (laughs) I don't know if you're that good. Like, oh, that sucks. And my friend was not quite done. He's like, uh, (laughs) there's more. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's more. There's more with this friend. My friend's like, and really, like, why does it always have to be you? Like, look at me. Look at me. You know, using this horrible <laughs> bully voice. And I was so mad. Like I, my stomach started to feel gross and like the heat was rising in my body. I could feel this little beads of sweat around my temples. And uh, I got really, really frustrated and angry and kind of brought tears to my eyes. And I, I, my life got really small in that moment. I didn't, I didn't know I didn't want to go to the block party. Like how could I go to block party and face all these people now that I knew that I was terrible? This is downward spiral. And you might say, well, why would you keep this friend around? Like, why would you let him talk to you like that? Well, this friend has been with me for a long time. And this friend, you know, tells me things that he thinks are going to keep me safe, right? Tell me these hard truths that nobody else will tell me. My friend is not very helpful. And this friend, is me. That was my voice, my own inner voice, my own inner critic. And we all have this voice. We all have this terrible, 
what Ariana Huffington calls the obnoxious roommate, right? That just gets in our head and just harps on us and focuses on like the pothole, that 1% of our life, which might be bad. And we spend all of our time there. And when we do that, our lives get so small. But, but luckily for me, there's the other part, right? The inner champion. Can you ask ourselves, okay, well, what else is true? I was like, okay, well, look, maybe people did go play beer pong. But honestly, if Paul McCartney and John Lennon and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Madonna and everybody else, Beyonce, all showed up on stage, there would still be people who would go play beer pong and trade whiskey shots because that's what they want to do on a Saturday night in July. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's true is a lot of people really enjoy my music, right? There's people who that's their favorite part. They get to sing along. And it's the only time they get to sing all year in front of people. And if I don't sing, they're not going to sing. And a lot of other stuff was good too. But when I, when I shift my attention away from the pothole to the 999 miles of other perfect road, my life gets bigger, right? In that moment of you know, self-loathing, if you'd ask me to go do something else, like, hey, could you play for this other thing? I'd be like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to do that because apparently I'm bad at this. <laughs> But when we focus on, okay, what else is true? Then our lives open up, our possibilities open up. We're willing to try new things. So when we think about self-compassion, it starts with ourselves. And kind of the antidote to that obnoxious roommate is this. Actually, maybe everybody try it right now. Like put your hand on your heart and just take a deep breath. And just first feel some sort of soothing, right? Like, and remember a time when you were soothed, like by a grandma or auntie or mom when you were a kid. Just remember this time when you were soothed. And then inwardly say your name, followed by, I love you. So I would say, Scott, I love you. And maybe just keep saying it for a bit. And yeah, I get it. This feels weird sometimes, or it can feel hard. We have judgment or shame, but let that go and just fully receive it. Because when we fully receive it, we become more of that true part of ourself, that deep part of ourself. And our fear and our anxiety and all the little noisy stuff that really doesn't matter can just slip away. Do you think people get better at this as they get older? Uh, I do. I think they get better at it with practice as well. So this is this is beautiful practice to start your day with, you know, as you're whatever in the morning, makeup or shaving or doing your hair, like look at yourself in the mirror, a hand on heart and out loud, looking at yourself in your eyes, say your name followed by, I love you. And for a lot of us, this is really hard. But when we, when we can do that for ourselves, it really builds our strength. And that strength allows us to then deal with the, the things that are hard in our lives. And it allows us to be able to give that to someone else. I actually think self-compassion is a practice. You, you have to practice it. Yeah. It does not come naturally. No matter how much we think it does, it does not come yeah. naturally. No, because what happens naturally is this uh, negativity bias that we talked about. It's the looking at the pothole, either in our own lives or frankly with other people or in life in general. 
this is how we evolved. And so you don't have to blame yourself. Like we all evolved this way to stay alive. It's happened for millions of years. Our brains and our bodies are focused on the things that might be dangerous, right? Our bodies are focused on things that might kill us. This is why we get into fight or flight so easily. You know, whether it's someone playing their music too loud or an actual, you know, tiger chasing us, <laughs> the same reaction same response. Our body. Exactly. Yeah. And our minds have the same way. You can think of th- this pothole management, this negativity bias. We tend to only, not only, mostly look at the negative. So to counterbalance that is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it, it happens with things like the practice that we did. It happens with things like gratitude gratitude for ourselves and others. It happens by on purpose, focusing on the 999% of perfect road instead of the pothole in our life. Yeah. If we focus on all the things that don't work in our lives, all the things that go wrong in our lives, we would never get out of bed. Yeah. At least I wouldn't. That's right. It's just overwhelming. That's right. We get more. So one of, one of my other hobbies is mountain biking. And if you're mountain biking on a trail and there's an obstacle, a big rock, a big hole, if you look right at the big rock or the big hole in the trail, where where do you think the bike goes? (laughs) It goes at the rock, like you can't help it. And so we we put our attention on where we want to be. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things you talk about is micro-compassions. What are are micro-compassions? Can you give us an example? Sure, of course. Well, let me... Let me talk about compassion at the highest level, then I'll talk about micro-compassion. So, I define compassion this way, and there's lots of good definitions. I like this one. Compassion is having the capacity to, three things, one, be aware of others, two, is have a mindset of wishing the best for them, or a mindset of kindness, and three, is then the courage to take action. Now, this doesn't have to be complicated. Right. So this is why I talk about micro compassions. This can be anytime we're moving from me to we, just thinking about myself to, okay, how can I think about all of us, including myself? So micro compassion can be as simple as smiling, as simple as listening. So you're at the grocery store, and instead of me getting lost in my phone like I normally do, wow, what if I just struck up a conversation with the person next to me, mm-hmm. you know, and create a connection and, and, And try, I like to make it a game of, can I get them to smile? Can I get them to laugh? You know, can I get them to talk about something good in their life? Listening, I think, is an incredible, compassionate act, like actually listening. Because most of the time, we're not really listening. We're listening, but we're also on our phones. We're listening, but we're also watching TV. We're in a staff meeting, but we're also shopping on Amazon. <laughs> or we're listening with the intention of waiting to respond yeah, exactly. instead of really trying to understand what the other person is trying to express to us. Precisely. So this act of holding space for another person and letting them be is really powerful because if you break it down, I think of one of our deepest needs as humans, our deepest passionate needs is to be seen and heard and acknowledged by someone else. So just the simple act of listening and asking more questions, like in, a, in an appropriate, like great listening way, allows this person to have a greater sense of being. So anything that allows this other person to light up, it could be questions, remembering something about them, 
you know, hey, Colin, did, have you been surfing lately? Or, hey, Brian, have you been fishing? Like, because I know that those are their hobbies. Hey, Lisa, like, I know you knit, like, are you working on any projects lately? You know, just remembering something about them, Mm -hmm. making a connection, and then giving them a space to talk about something that they love. Acknowledging who they are as a person, as opposed to just their job. Exactly. So at work, it's moving beyond just seeing each other as cogs in a machine, right? Okay, let's get our meeting started and get down to business, the top 10, you know. Instead, it's like, hey, let's start our meeting and first, and we actually do this at LinkedIn. We start staff meetings by going around and just like, what's something you're grateful for today? Or what's a professional win or personal win that you've had in the last week? And what this does is it moves us away from just seeing each other as workers into seeing us as people first and making those connections. And it also moves us away from our head to our heart, or in other words, that whole part of ourself that the full body, yes, right? The place where you can be more creative. You can be your full self. Do you feel that helps you become more connected with your customer so that you can be more compassionate with your customer? Totally. Because as we ourselves move away from just being in our own head about our own mess, I mean, think about it. We're, we're always wrapped up in our own stuff. The argument we had with a family member or the bills we need to pay or whatever's going on in our own head. And those mm-hmm. are real. But when we start focusing on others, actually, it makes those things, you know, reduce in in anxiety. So when we really, it builds strength so that we can think about our customers. Like, Like back to the example of grandma on the sticky note. Like every, all of us are serving something, right? We all have customers in our life, whether we're at work or at home or whatever. We have people that we're serving. Sure. And when we can focus, increase that focus on other people, it actually makes us stronger, right? So one of, one of the pieces of advice I give to people, if they're really stuck, like you're just stuck in your own mess and you don't know what to do next. My biggest piece of advice is like, okay, just stop. Do something today for someone else out of pure service or joy or love, whatever feels most comfortable without any thought of return, any thought of reward. And when people start to change, they shift into thinking about someone, someone else and what they can do, this act of service, it makes, <laughs> it makes everything about them, it makes their own problems just kind of shrink a little bit. Absolutely. So, in this past year, actually the last few years, our world has become very polarized in, in many different ways. What role does compassion play sure. in, in all of those areas? Sure. Well, if we go back to my definition, an awareness of others, a mindset of kindness, and then the courage to take action. So compassion, okay, well, to back up, this division that we're seeing is like the pothole. You know, we're, we're focusing on how we're different, right? And people are generally like 98% similar or same as each other, right? We all want to love our families. We all want to be healthy. We all have plans we want to work out. Like mostly we're the same. We have different stories and the stuff we want in our life is different, but these same urges. And then we're different by one or 2%, but we focus 99% of our energy on the one or 2% that's different. So the, (laughs) the antidote is compassion. The antidote is seeing that other person in the ways that they are similar to me right? I don't have to agree with their politics or their policies or whatever. But if I start with me at my highest 
and you at your highest. We're pretty similar, right? And so if I can see my first see myself in that way, see the best qualities in me, and then I see the other person as that way, then it builds this common ground. It builds this connection. And from there, we can start to work on the things where we don't agree. Wow, that's awesome. To work. Many employees feel disconnected from their companies right now. Yeah. Especially with COVID, they're working from home, all these different things. What are, what are companies doing right now correctly? What are they doing sure. right? And what can they do to maybe correct any issues that maybe sure. things that are not working out? Sure. So in addition to our COVID pandemic, we have a pandemic of mental wellness issues. We have a pandemic of loneliness, right? And it's, you know, not just because of that, but that exacerbates this feeling of disconnection that people have with their companies. Not everybody, but it's exacerbated. So what can companies do? What can leaders do? I think it's a number of things, and it starts at the very highest level. When a company talks about its mission, its purpose, and its purpose is meaningful, right? Not just, hey, we're going to be the next $5 billion company or the next you know, X percent profit. Like, really? Who cares? On my deathbed, do I really care if I worked for a company that was that profitable? No, I want to work for a company that did something in the world that had real meaning. So, when we focus on meaning, that makes me as a worker feel like my job is more valuable. It feels like, like my life is more valuable. So if you can connect me to the end customer, you can connect me to this purpose in life, this purpose in the world, then I feel like I'm doing more valuable work and I feel better about myself. And then there's connection to each other as people, as workers, and connection to myself. Okay, so let's start with self. Just, just like we did the self-compassion exercise Companies like LinkedIn and others, when they offer practices like this around growth mindset, around meditation, around, you know, really deeply understanding yourself, that helps me as an employee reduce my stress, reduce my anxiety, be more stable. And then when I'm more stable, I can respond better to what's going on with the team. So focusing more on connection, right? Just like this, this example we gave about starting staff meetings with talking about gratitude instead of just dumping into our collective to-do list helps build a sense of community, build a sense of connectivity to each other. And so then you have this thread that ties all the way from the individual. If I feel connected to myself, I feel connected to my team, I feel connected to the purpose of my group and the purpose of my company in the world then I feel really connected to all of life, right? And I feel much better and much stronger about the work that I'm doing and who I am in the world. Yeah, I love that. I really do. I, I think you have a pretty phenomenal role in, at LinkedIn. I, I really <laughs> have enjoyed talking to you. We have four minutes before the end of the show. What I would really like to spend the last few minutes talking about is who is this book for? Sure. Well, look, this book is for everybody in that it's very story-driven. And I think that you'll see yourself, I intended to write the story of all of us and a lot of my own stories, but I think you'll see yourself in these stories. I share a lot of my own inner dialogue, my own you know, struggles, because I think this is where, this is where growth happens. It's in, our ins, it's in our minds, right? It's not the stuff that's happening to us. It's the, the inner tension that happens. 
Sure. But the, the center of the bullseye that this book is for is for people who are working and they ask themselves, is this all there is? Like, it seems like there should be more than this. Like, it seems like my life should be more than this. Seems like my job should be more than this. That's the center point of who the book is for. Thank you. That's wonderful. And once again, could you give our listeners information on how they can get a copy of this book and how they might be able to connect with you? Sure. The book is called The Full Body Yes. You can find it online and in retailers where every books are found, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, The Full Body Yes. But you can also find more information about it and about me and follow me at scottshoot.com and also thefullbodyyes.com. And then for more kind of regular updates, or if you want to join one of my meditation sessions or that sort of thing, follow me on LinkedIn for more daily updates. Thank you so much, Scott. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you about your book, talking to you about your job, your life experience. Um, You are clearly a very interesting person, and I've just really enjoyed this. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you are fabulous. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And so for those of you who would like to um, get in contact with Scott, you have his information. For those of you who'd like to come to our summit that is coming up June 7th, 8th, and 9th, it's called Setting Your Kids Up for Success. You can sign up for that at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also email me at fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Or you can call me directly at 480-648-1122. And as an executive function coach, I work here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I work with people who have a variety of uh, challenges. And my goal is to help them reach their fullest potential. Um, so, um, I look forward to coming back next week and next week we are talking to Stacy Lang and she is a client of mine and she's going to be talking about her experience and how she went from her struggles to where she's at now. And as she put it, she didn't know how far she had fallen until, or she didn't know how far she came until she had fallen. That's how it was. (laughs) So she is going to talk a little bit more about her experience and how she has uh, reached a level of success that she's at today. And once again, I want to thank you, Scott Shoot, for coming onto the show today. You have a fabulous day. And I, um, if you can hang on after we get off the show, I'd love to chat with you for a couple minutes. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. We look forward to you're listening to our show again next week. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week. <laughs>